we believe that as a society we need to do better than digging up fossil fuels from the ground and have really dirty processes to um, make the things that we that we use every day. Welcome to Tech Talks, hosted by myself, David Savage, and powered by Nash Squared. On today's show, we are talking to Satnam, the co-founder and CTO of Twig. But before that, Hello, Akish. It's Boxing Day. Hello. It is Boxing Day, correct? The day... I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not Boxing Day, folks. We're not actually recording this over Christmas. <laughs> Sorry to break that, but it's Boxing Day. Should, should, we, should we pretend it's Boxing Day? And, uh, like, oh, if it yeah, is Boxing yeah. Day, what yeah. are you doing? What am I doing? Um, I'm probably eating uh, at various points throughout the day, so it depends on when we're recording this. But I, You know, I'm, I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to interrupt and, yeah. and very quickly ask you, because I feel rather ignorant in that boxing day to me is a very traditional western kind of cold cuts turkey pigs in blankets yep. sausages, that kind of stuff yeah i imagine it's it's slightly different in your household if you're with your family um, uh, and maybe i'm entirely wrong uh yeah i think you are <laughs> a little is bit it a mashup it, it is a mashup yeah 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 oh great it's it's um it, it's i mean yeah it, it's normally a cold cuts leftovers kind of day but also at the same time it's a you know um some sort of a, a, an asian fusion as well um what's in there uh it depends really i mean last time last time my mum last year i remember she made uh, she whipped up like a all the turkey leftover that we had whipped up like this turkey biryani type thing which was which was oh, actually nice. quite tasty yeah it's the first time actually she did it. i don't know why you're saying that like it's a surprise. no 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 because I, I, yeah, I mean, like, can I'm, your mum not cook no because i've never i mean i've never i've never had her cook that to be fair and i was like wow this is nice so i've already put an order in for that and she said well we have to see how much turkey's left over then um so turkey yeah biryani sounds yeah 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 so it was, it was a bit festive and also what i did this is completely rogue um I actually put some cranberry sauce on the side of it, so actually, you know, properly add a bit of a fusion. So, yeah, it was nice. Um, But also, at the same time, I've normally been up most of the night, um, you know, with some sort of alcoholic beverage, but also watching the Boxing Day (laughs) test match as well, which is a bit of a family tradition with me and my old man. So we normally spend the first two, three hours watching that into the early hours of the morning. Um, Who have the Aussies got this year? Pakistan, actually. So it's... Um, oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. And then also on box, Boxing Day, we here in the UK, for those that follow football, have a lot of football. Um, we do. on, And that's always good because Boxing Day fixtures are very, very good. So... Absolutely. Yeah. So it's... Um, yeah. I'm not one to go out, get into the sales and... That sort of stuff. No, no, no. I'm not. There are sales all year round. It's pretty much in it, really. Um, look, so if you're celebrating Christmas or not, or if you're just uh, taking advantage of this festive time off to spend some time with family and loved ones, we hope you are having a lovely time. Mm. And if you've chosen over these few days to take some time out and listen to us, well, <laughs> hello. Uh, thank you for doing so. We're going to hand over to our interview with Satnam, who is the CTO of Twig. We'll be back with some commentary afterwards and a little bit of a chat about Knight Rider. Today, I am joined by Satnam. Satnam, you are the co-founder and CTO at Twig. Um, 
before we get into anything else, thank you for spending some time on the podcast with me today. And to our twig. So, th- yeah, first of all, Dave, thanks very much for, for inviting me and having me on the p- podcast today. Super excited to chat with you. Um, yeah, so Twig is a synthetic biology company. Uh, we engineer bacteria to make uh, what we call the biggest, littlest ingredients. Um, so uh, there's the chemicals, molecules, ingredients that go into everyday products. So uh, into shampoos, into fragrances, into uh, personal care products and beyond, potentially further. Um, and we do that by using um, machine learning and synthetic biology uh, to, to, to engineer hundreds of thousands of different bacteria, and we select iteratively which ones work. And sorry, when you say engineer bacteria and which ones, yep. well, what are we talking about here in layman's terms? Because anyone listening might be going, okay, I kind of maybe understand, but, but what do we mean? Um, yeah, it's a good question. So uh, what we mean is that we reprogram uh, bacteria mm-hmm. that um, you know are, are sort of present in nature with new genes, um, which then enable them to uh, take in food like sugar um, and other other things, and will then uh, produce those chemicals that we're that we're really interested in producing. Um, think about how um, yeast take up sugar mm-hmm. and uh, produce alcohol, and that is what is you know how we make beer. Um, so we can use the same sorts of principles, the same sort of equipment, the same sort of fermentation vessels as that we use to make beer. But instead of using yeast, we can use um, different bacteria, different microorganisms that we can then engineer and, and produce these chemicals that we otherwise produce from intensive farming or fossil fuels now that that alludes to a core part of your your purpose there because you say intensive farming and fossil fuels yeah this is on one hand innovation uh and i suppose therefore cost effective uh, and mm-hmm. an interesting solution but it's also trying to mitigate um some of the impact of, of these industries on climate change and, and creating a sustainable pathway right yeah, absolutely. So this is very much a um, a sustainable sustainability focused uh, mission. We are a sustainability company. Um, we believe that as a society, we need to do better than digging up um, you know fossil fuels from the ground and have really dirty processes to um, make the things that we that we use every day. And we believe that. Um, the consumer needs better options um, and those those better options should not be spewing out laser toxic toxic fumes and chemicals back into the environment we need to do a we need to do a better job um, so yeah that's um, that's super super important to us as a company okay so before we kind of get into some of the the, the more kind of broad themes of the, of the podcast then let's just kind of take a step back and and have a look at your own kind of background because you are someone who's held a post in a number of different organizations um uh kind of as, as a chief product officer lead compute computational biologist product manager now co-founder and cto how did you find yourself where you are today how what, what's the career journey that's got you to this point in this particular problem yeah that's it's a i often ask myself the same thing 
Um, I think the uh, overriding thing is I want to always do something impactful, um, but also have autonomy and have fun whilst doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're my quarter of sort of three major factors in making a decision when it comes to my own career. Um, but first and foremost, I'm a biochemist, I'm a scientist by training. So my undergrad was in biochemistry, um, went to, uh, so didn't like the lab work side of it and saw back then, this was more than a decade, decade and a half, well, almost 20 years ago now, um, that technology was starting to creep its way into the sciences. I wanted to be uh, a part of that. And so I uh, decided to um, go into computational biology because I didn't like the lab work. Um, you know, you get RSI from using a pipette too much, and I was much more interested in how we can leverage um, technology in, in the biosciences. And that's, again, one of the kind of overarching themes in, in my career. After my PhD, uh, master's, I went and did a PhD in computational biology um, and, again, got sort of drawn into uh, a lot of the the technical side of, you know, we were starting to make massive data sets with, with genomics and proteomics and these types of things. And that becomes a computational and data engineering problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's some of the stuff that I did in my PhD, as well as like molecular simulation. So think about um, the things that came before AlphaFold is the stuff that I was working on. Um, then after my PhD, I went into industrial biotechnology, which is where I met my co-founder, Jimmy, um, where I was using a lot of, sort of machine learning techniques or very simple machine learning techniques to figure out what the best way to engineer um, bacteria was. Um, then after that, went into the startup, the startup world, into data and machine learning startups and scale-ups. Um, as you mentioned, I was computational biologist and then sort of over time, promoted to chief product officer for a, a data and machine learning enterprise software platform for the life sciences. Um, then after that, I went to sort of data and AI um, applications in, in the non-life sciences, so every other industry sort of um, uh, for a while. And then, yeah, then um, myself, James, and a third co-founder, Rusk, sort of over time got together and got working on Twig and you know, raised some money, and then here we are today. So let me ask a question. Do you count yourself as, today, do you count yourself as a scientist, um, a technologist, or is that question missing the point entirely? I I would be uh, sort of, I would say both, but actually now to be a scientist, you also probably have to have a bit of a, a technology string to your bow. So, so um, option C, it's missing the point entirely. <laughs> I don't, look, I asked this because I'm kind of teasing it. Do you think other people understand this? Because like, look, this might be my naivety. I'm a social sciences student. The idea of a computational biologist to me is quite out there. You might tell yeah. me that a lot of scientists are already on this path. Or actually, are you quite rare? So there's, I was quite rare a few years ago. Um, then I think the, the, the sciences, especially the biological sciences have, uh, increased in, uh, in collaborating with technologists, because as I mentioned, the data, data sets are becoming ever larger. The, um, questions that we're answering 
require so much more compute power. So it's that intersection between um, the biosciences with technology. And so um, what traditionally scientists would have been, say, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I was sort of earlier in my career, were those people that you can imagine that were sitting at the bench side with pipettes, like moving little bits of liquid from one bit to another. Now we have um, robotics automation that can help that. And so the throughput for a single scientist can go up and therefore that means that they can think about things in a much um, broader way and also have the capacity to then um, analyze their data in a, in a lot more efficient technology driven way. So this is where the intersection of data science and the life sciences come in as well. So, and then I guess another thing that's happened, which was COVID, which meant that a lot of PhD students that were supposed to be in the lab had to stay at home for a year and a half, two years. And so what do they do? They um, opened up a Jupyter notebook and started Python coding. And so yeah. that I think was a sort of an unintended, unintended sort of nice uh, consequence. It means that people are coming out now with the sort of the, the lab sciences side, but also the 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 kind of scripting and kind of uh, sort of beginner to intermediate level of coding, which was not what was happening a few years back. My my painting of the narrative here might be overly simplistic, and, and forgive me if that's the case. But listening to you, it would sound like science is moving towards the realm of technology, and maybe technologists can find a place working within biosciences quite easily because it's data, it's machine learning, it's, you know, it's, it's data science disciplines that they're probably quite familiar with. For scientists, this might not be um, a route that would have appeared so, so naturally to them a couple of years ago. How do you convince those in the scientific community that coming to work for a company like yours, which is to all intents and purposes a, a technology scale-up business, is where they should be spending their time? Yeah, that's it's an interesting question, and I think the um, for the for the scientists, um, they're still interested in uh, asking those questions, like, can we? engineer a microbe that can produce acetone or isoprene or a palmitic acid, like a palm oil alternative, those questions still remain the same. The way in which they do it is different. They don't need to be at the bench side, um, you know, using a pipette to, to still be a scientist and ask those scientific questions. Yes, they need to sort of um, become more au fait with some of the automation and some of the sort of the data analysis, but, you know, the fundamental exploration um, that scientists are brilliant at us is are still relevant and actually probably even more relevant now uh, than they have been um, and so I think yes there's still a massive need for super driven super smart scientists but we're sort of just giving them more tools at their disposal to be um, even more effective what um, what do you think technologists are bringing to the table here yeah, the, the, it's, I guess it's the, the, the other side of the same coin, right? So um, technologists have spent the last few decades um, really uh, nailing down like how to, how to deal with complexity in terms of software and how to make, um, make sense of a lot of very fuzzy things. Um, and I think that's 
a really important sort of attribute to bring in to, to what we're doing, but more tangibly, um, you know, uh, robotics needs, robotics platforms need coding, um, the data that comes off of massive. And so actually there's like a, a sort of a, a DevOps need in, in the biosciences in terms of moving massive data sets around and then uh, processing them and then integrating um, those outputs uh, into into the experimental workflow. And so, you know, there's always a big gap between, you know, you can do machine learning as a, as a data scientist in a notebook, but actually how do you get that integrated into a an organization? That becomes a software problem. You need to be able to layer that machine learning algorithm or model um, so that it can be easily interacted with by a scientist and they can make sense from it. Um, and so you, that that is a, a very much a technology problem. And so I think there's a lot of big um, opportunities, lot of lot of major opportunities for technologies to te- for technologists to come into into the biotechnology space. What skills do you think? Where, where do you think this is stretching technologists? Because I would imagine that some of those practices around software aren't directly applicable. There are, there are different standards, right? When it comes to science, everyone is is fully aware. If you are <laughs> uh, reprogramming. Um, bacteria, I imagine there are certain um, uh, regulatory and kind of protocols that you need to follow that you can't just necessarily apply what someone's doing in a in a martech business to what you're doing. True. Yeah, there are there are certain sort of things um, that are so in, I guess more broadly in uh, in the if you're working sort of health tech and, and medicines, there's all of that sort of data privacy and compliance issues in um, what we're doing in terms of engineering bacteria there are sort of you know gm type regulations that we adhere to Um, but i think the major uh the the biggest thing is is sort of the, the the translation between the science and the technology and so there's a real sort of niche of people um as we were sort of alluding to earlier who do who can sort of access those translators both from the science going to the technology, but actually there's some really smart technologists who've come into the science who um, who know what which questions to ask and aren't afraid of asking those really basic questions. And the upside to that is actually they ask really, really insightful um, uh, questions against some of our pre-existing assumptions, which... Um, you wouldn't have had if you were just a room full of scientists because you you share all those same assumptions. And so, um, I, I think the sort of the call to arms is is really around around that. There's a massive opportunity. Yes, it's not going to be straightforward. It's not going to be easy. But so long as you're willing to ask the questions and and learn and grow in those environments, it can be massively fulfilling. And we are working on some of the world's biggest problems um, that that faces us. Uh, they, that we face as a as a society. But we're talking there about this kind of melting pot of two communities who traditionally were quite separate coming together, working on these on these challenges that that kind of some of the big questions that are posed of society. What are the learnings for other businesses though? What are the learnings for a startup working in say ad tech or something that I suppose on the surface of it might appear quite dry and, and far removed from what you're doing? What do you think you can take from your experience that they should be thinking about? I think it's um, there needs to be room for uh, the the melding of different disciplines. So in in other industries, it's really getting 
the the business side really close to the the data and science uh, the data science side and like the software side because uh, you know this is kind of referring back to my my product management days which is um, you know one of the key things about product management is like stakeholder engagement stakeholder alignment and the way to really do that is to be the facilitator between the different different stakeholders so everyone really shares the same understanding um, and is pointing towards the same sort of direction that, that that's that's sort of applicable across any industry um but it's even more so uh, a lot more difficult in the sciences because actually we are doing a lot there's, there's there's an even greater level of complexity and so um but i think still it's it's really uh sort of taking that squad-based approach where you have someone from the business or in this case someone from the science and someone from so the 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 data side and someone from the software side to kind of put them all together to um, tackle problems and figure out the questions you want to ask and then yes go into the implementation go okay what sort of model uh, you know uh, machine learning strategy can work here um, how do we get that into um, into into the hands of into hands of users to get quick feedback and then how do we iterate and learn from from that so I think we're, I'm taking those that sort of those sorts of principles into twig and that's how we're and that's how we're working and look from a personal point of view <clears throat> um you've held a number of, of, of senior posts up to this point but this is your this is your first time as a co-founder right yes what do you think you are asking of your peers you know you're you're now in a leadership role but when you when you're out there and you're learning from others what questions do you have uh this is a, this is a good one i think there's a lot about what's how, how do you embed the right sort of culture um culture is one of those things that we at twig across my leadership team co-founders and actually early employees that we take super super seriously um and what is the right sort of data culture that we're trying to embed um and how do we ensure that we are doing it in a way that um is sort of self-manifesting over time um, so that's definitely one of them. Then there's also the you know the classic um, you know uh, uh, you know techie sort of questions around um, you know machine learning ops models and uh, and that kind of thing. But there's there's sort of and then the final one is around actually we're at, we're at the forefront of um, leveraging technology and biotechnology, and so there's ways in working ways of working that we're. Uh, taking inspiration from, say, like at the agile development method in software engineering and applying it in real life experiments in our robotics labs so that we can sort of fail fast and learn and iterate. Um, but we've had to sort of create a new operating model based off some of these sort of principles that have been around, but um, refine it and and uh, sort of customize it for for what we're doing. And I think um, getting any other insights from companies out there who've sort of faced the same thing. So I can imagine like um, hardware companies and, uh, you know, hardware startups, for instance, might have some of some similar sort of sorts of challenges. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. Obviously, the work that you're doing is of critical importance, given what's going on uh, on, on a kind of a, a global picture with... Um, climate change and the climate crisis. So uh, thank you for giving up your time today and wish you the best of luck in, in the coming months. Thanks for having me.
Just a quick thing. Um, obviously, uh, really interesting interview. Also, two weeks ago, Ross Tucker, who is uh, founder, uh, co-founder along with Satnam at Twig, uh, put on LinkedIn that the UK government had announced their national vision for engineering biology, um, which Ross referred to as huge news. Um, some of the highlights, regulatory sandboxes to speed up the safe approval of new tech, two billion pounds worth to be spent in the next decade, um, an expert steering group to advise the government, infrastructure to support scale up and education uh, of investors and customers to support adoption. Um, I am reticent to heap praise on our current government for various reasons, but where credit is due, well done. And this does sound like something that we can be very positive about, especially that level of investment and the fact that true experts are involved. Uh, and I will resonate everything you said uh, about the, the government. And, you know, that aside, that aside, look, look away from the, the, the policies and the, the politics side of it. I think where there are growing needs i think for for businesses or or for the industry and and sort of you know where significant impact is had on the people and the people being i think personally the voters or, or people that would be aligned to a you know a government or, or the opposition party or whatnot um i think it's huge and i think the fact that they are wanting to set aside this level of investment and also look to to give back into um the tech world um is huge and i think it it, it paves a path whether or not we still have this government this time next year um it paves a path for some some real sort of green shoots into um you know what we can call real technology advancement i guess um and, yeah. and kind of what's needed so yeah yeah Talking of technology advancements, I'm not sure whether this one's necessarily needed. Um, Knight Rider, mm. had Kit, everyone famously, hopefully everyone famously knows Kit, uh, the fact that the car talks to Michael Knight. Um, Tom, Tom and Microsoft are making their own version. It's built a TomTom Tom digital cockpit that allows drivers to converse naturally with their vehicle, uh, <laughs> verbally controlling navigation and locate stops en route. Uh, I think this is quite a good thing because I don't know about you. you know, no, actually, no, you've got new cars, so this is probably not such a, an issue for you. But I am forever uh, punching at my phone on a little holder thing next mm. to the steering wheel, looking at the, the various different apps that I'm using to navigate the, the motorways of yeah. southern England. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, similar. I mean, I, I've, got, I've got, I mean, you know, like Apple CarPlay, for example um right i've got i've got that but uh, what, what does that let you do i mean it, it lets you I mean, it lets you pair up your thing and it comes up on the screen and your dash and all that sort of stuff and you've got your maps yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. but then also on my steering wheel like i can speak to it but i can't i can't have a conversation i can just say call dave savage for example or does does it does it let you adjust temperature and open the windows and all that kind of stuff which is apparently what this will do what with my voice yeah. No, no. I can, the only thing I can do is I can skip song, play next song, and call someone and pick up a call. Can you can you can you change the location on your on your sat nav? No, I can't. No. I mean, see, I think this is quite cool. I think this is I think this is a good thing because that that can be distracting and dangerous. It can be distracting, and dangerous. But I'll tell you what can also be distracting, and dangerous. When I've had things like these, and you try Go to on. speak into it most of the time it doesn't even recognize what you're trying to say so if i give an address 
and I say, I don't know, four London wall, it'll come up with like, I don't know, four Lambourne walk or something. And it's just like, oh, what am I, do you know what I mean? And that, that like those times of sort of confusion or, or you know, things. Kit, Kit always understood the Hoff. Kit always understood the Hoff, but also Kit and Hoff were imaginary and it wasn't real life. But <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was All amazing. Right. No, Fucking but hierarchy. I know, I know. I, was, I should probably be in a bit more cheerful spirit seeing it as Boxing Day. But, it's um, Boxing Day. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Forgot about that. Um, but also now at the same time, I think it's, um, it, 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 do you know what? From from the article, it looks bloody cool. I can imagine it in some sort of a, you know, Tesla or something a bit more techy. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely an electric car of some It's not going to be in your Vauxhall Insignia, is it? No, it's, it's, it's not going to be, or a Corsa, <laughs> but, you know, let's, um, but I think, but I think to be honest, I think that's, that's the way things are going. And I think also at the same time, um, what I do think that will do is, is also it will just help with sort of real time alerts and, and traffic and, yeah, just just an all-round better um, technology sort of experience. I mean, I, I yeah. stepped into a Tesla for the first time in my life a few weeks ago, and I was absolutely mesmerised with the tech in there. And mm. this wasn't even like the most singing or dancing sort of Tesla available on the market. And it wasn't new either. It was like a couple of years old. But I was just what, what are my neighbours right? Yeah. Their 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 work car scheme. He's getting mm. a Tesla for forty quid a month. Is he? What's our company doing wrong? I mean, we do have a scheme that has... Would we get a Tesla for 40 quid a month? I don't think it's a Tesla for 40 quid a month, no. No, no. But <clears> I do know that we have an electric car scheme, obviously. ESG and carbon footprint and all that. Encouraging. Look into that, actually. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, this is going to be demonstrated at CES in Vegas in January. So um, You're there, aren't you? Yeah, you are there, right? Yeah, there we go. There you go. There's there's a shameless plug. Like, yeah. Well, I, I expect you to uh, send me some sort of video or post it on our socials. Uh, as Talking a... to the car and seeing All if right. it recognises my my English. What, do you know what you should do? You should, talk, you should talk into the car somehow, and I'm sure it will pair up to Spotify or something. Get them to play an episode of Tech Talks. Get the car to play an episode of Tech Talks whilst whilst in it. There we go. In Vegas. That. Let's see if we can do that. Now that would make me. Yeah, that would make me very happy. And also, I reckon <laughs> that'd be pretty sick, though, wouldn't it? Literally just driving down, just going, yeah, when it tells you to get off Route 66 or whatever. But like, yeah, um, play the newest episode of the Tech Talks podcast. And suddenly it's our. See if it finds us. Suddenly it's our jingle, our new jingle with Lemzy. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, boom, yeah. away we go. Shout out to Lemzy. Bought his album, very good, on vinyl. Also, got a t shirt. And a brochure in there about the artistic making of the album. Very good. There yeah, we go. Yeah. That's, there's, that's there's going above and beyond. money. Yeah. yeah. And also, it's thinking about the customer and showing the journey rather than just, thanks for parting with some cash, here's your vinyl. Um, exactly. Yeah. Decent. Very nice. Anyway, look, it's, uh, it's Boxing Day, so get back to the booze, to the cricket, to the uh, turkey biryani and uh, <laughs> to, to the everyone sofa. else who's <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> to everyone else if you're listening we hope you're having a lovely break Tech Talks is hosted and edited by David Savage it is produced by Nash Squared and we have special thanks to Lemzy for supplying music to this show